Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to the Room 104 Podcast with Cormac Moore and Sir Shalon. FM 104. Yeah, if you've had to have that conversation once. I can't. No, I wouldn't be able to. Did your mum have a conversation? I didn't get a conversation. I no. Got handed a, did I get handed? No, I didn't even get handed a book. No, I did. I got handed the most awkward book. She didn't even hand it to me. My mum hates talking. She she's the worst communicator in the world. Yeah. Doesn't like doesn't like people to be honest. Uh, so she just brought a book into my room one day and walked out the door, and it was the most yeah, cold, weird, creepy book I've ever seen in my life. So yeah. thank God for, for Ms. Magazine back in the day and the oh, problem problem pages on the back. See, we never got any of those magazines. We never had those problem pages. We just had football magazines. Yeah, you didn't actually. They didn't talk about anything. They were we just had like, yeah, goals, yeah, class, football boots, yeah. There wasn't any magazine out there for young boys to talk about their feelings and understand their bodies. No, there wasn't. There was, you what needed was it, that Shoot? Was back. it Shoot? What were the magazines? The football magazines and how they're still going. Oh, they had the... The model at the front? No. That was the oh. sun, wasn't it? That was just page three in the sun. Oh, no. no I'm talking that, about no, no, nuts. nuts. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or maybe they had some stuff in it, but they're not even around anymore. Is nuts gone? I think so, yeah. Shamed out of existence for glorifying and sexualizing women. And now we have only fans. I know. I know. What a world we live in. What a beautiful world. Interesting world. Um, all right. Oh eight seven six seven nine seven one zero four. Still to come before the end of the show. Sorry, we need to kick off as well. The Sandwich World Cup matches will be going head to head now in just a moment. You can help us decide who and where has the single greatest sandwich in Dublin. The first few games are going ahead next here on F one hundred four. You're listening to the Room one hundred four podcast with Cormac Moore and Sir Shalon. FM one hundred four. Inhaler, it won't always be like this. Fingers crossed. It's Cormac and Saoirse here on Room 104 with Play Blue. You can see what takes your fancy at playblue.ie. You know you want to. Also, check out the um, Breakfast Roll Challenge video we did on Friday. If you missed the show um, on Friday evening, we went out to Crumlin to Pip's Cafe in Delhi, which is a beautiful spot out there, and they're running a ridiculous Breakfast Roll Challenge. Now, I'm hoping, right, yeah. to maybe make this a regular thing. Like, I want to do another challenge... I would happily challenge you at doing any kind of food-related thing. Right, yeah. I want. I feel I need to beat you. I'm not sure there is too many food-related challenges in Dublin. There's that pizza one in the... What's the name of the pizzeria that does a ridiculously large pizza challenge? I can't remember the name of it. But we should look into this. It yeah. shouldn't end here at Pip's Cafe. Oh, it should only be the beginning. I think so. It should only just be the beginning. I'm determined to win. So the breakfast roll challenge, it's for 
ridiculous, right? The guys out there, Paul and Rachel and uh, Mikey as well. They have been uh, doing this for the last couple of weeks and it's a 22-inch French baguette. It has 10 sausages, 10 rashers, hash browns, uh, beans, five, six eggs. Just monster, monster breakfast roll. You have 45 minutes to finish it. Otherwise, you uh, you have to pay for it, but the money goes towards the Crumlin Men's Sheds charity that they're helping and looking after and contributing to as well. So not only is it a good bit of crack, but you'll be helping raise some money for the uh, Men's Shed out in Crumlin. But myself and Saoirse did it on Friday, and the video just went up this evening on our Facebook and also on our Instagram and our Twitter. So wherever you would prefer to go and check it out, you can see and then find out who won? We technically both lost because we were not able to finish it in 45 minutes. No, we were not able to finish it in 45 minutes. And I'm not going to lie to you, the time flew by. Oh, stop. Because we were there, bring it down to you, and it looks looks doable. It does look doable, yeah. You're looking at it kind of going, Anna, this shouldn't be too bad. And you think... And you kind of think 45 minutes is a lot of time. You think it's a very, very long time. Mm. But then 10 minutes is in and you have not made a dent in it. Yeah. You're like, all the rashes are still there. All the sausages are still there. You're not, you can't see any bread yet. There's nothing there. 15 minutes, 20 minutes. And when you get to 20 minutes, you're halfway through. And then you then start getting like panicky because you're like, oh, it, this is ridiculously hard. And then what goes from being a really enjoyable breakfast... Then you're tr- trying to stuff as yeah. much meat yeah. in your face as possible. Yeah, it gets difficult. It gets Become, really difficult, yeah. It becomes a challenge. It gets difficult. Yeah. i got to work away. But listen, you can check out the video on all our social media platforms right now. Wherever you're following FM104, you can check it out there. Um, and even just drop a comment on it. Honestly, do you think you could finish it? Yeah, if you do think you could finish it, let us know because I just don't think anyone could. It's the time. It's so tough. No one, as of, as of yet, a good few people have tried it so far. No one has done it. No one has completed it in 45 minutes. I should say there's a side of chips. There's a side of chips they throw in there as well. As well. Yeah. You didn't touch them. Now, what I will say is the people that did try them, try it, sorry, before us, mm. only one of them did better. Only one of them did better. So we kind of came second and third, apparently. Yeah. Currently. Which is nice. Nice to know. Nice to know. It is It is incredibly difficult. Pip's Cafe and Deli out in uh, Crumlin. Savage spot as well. Really, really nice. Going to have to go back out there and... 100%, yeah. Enjoy some food. That Lovely coffee as well. Shove it into our mouths. Yeah. And get it done. But listen, the video's up online. Um, speaking of food as well, we had issues with, you know, the great flake panic of a couple of months ago? Yes. That were running out of 99s. I heard a couple of stories about, over the weekend, about certain foods from a bar that might be disappearing. I think I heard this one. When you go to a pub and if you get any of the traditional packets of things from yeah. behind the bar, what's your go-to? Like, what would you get? Do you know what I love? You know the nuts that they have in the, yeah, the, the hot, hot nuts? nuts. Yeah, yeah, love the hot nuts. I also love Pringles. Right, okay. Love Pringles, always get them. Now, they're a bit fancier now. They're not old school traditional pub, they're not, pub no. attire. I'd always get the fries as well. Crisps, they were always a go-to, especially when I was dr- dragged to the, the pub back in the day with my, my mum and dad. The ones with the red. Yeah. The small little one. What are they called? Bacon fries. Bacon fries. Bacon fries, sorry, yeah. Them. Yep. Uh, so yeah, they would have been my go-to back in the day, probably along with King Crisps. Oh, yeah. Now, if I was going to a pub, I would want Pringles and the Hot Nuts. Were you ever a fan of Scampi Fries? No, I wasn't. They are hugely popular. Scampi Fries and Bacon Fries, a solid go-to when you're in a pub watching a match or just down there yeah. for one or two responsibilities and you just open the packet up. Um, turns out that there may be a shortage of scampi fries and they may be going out of production. 
I mean, I don't care about that. I would care if the nuts are going out of production. I would also care if the bacon fries are going out of production because they are really tasty and they bacon are... Bacon fries are absolutely amazing. Staple, yeah. Yeah. But a, a, a huge amount of people are big into scampi fries. The only thing I will say about both scampi fries and bacon fries is the packets are too small. There's no need to be giving us half a packet of what could be a giant packet of crisps. Yeah, should they have like a massive, massive thing of bacon fries? Yeah. I wonder, can you get a massive thing of bacon fries? Not not like a knockoff brand, because I think you can get knockoff brands in you can definitely get knockoff or somewhere, but you, can you get the original who are bacon fries in a large packet? I think the whole idea is to have a handful of crisps to go with your drink. Mm. So I don't think they ever made a large bag because that's not the idea. They're going to need to. They're, gonna um, need they're to obviously to running out. They can't even afford the, the small bags. So apparently there was a production issue and someone told me, and I was reading an article on earlier on as well, uh, Scampi Fries, the factory went on fire. Oh. And hence why the production facilities have slowed down. Where is the factory? Over in the UK. Well, that's devastating news. Devastating news here this night. Scampi fries. Now, maybe you're, oh yeah, maybe you still are getting them. You're going to a pub, sitting outside, having some scampi fries and a pint. Now that might be no more. Do you know what? They used to be really cheap back in the day. Yeah. Now they're going to be about 10 euro pack. Oh, they will. Yeah, actually, you've got some scampi fries at home. Hang on to them. You could be uh, onto a winner. But yeah, production issues with scampi fries. Uh, not too much issues with bacon fries, apparently, but uh, dwindling supplies around the country and them going out of stock. Apparently, they're not in stock in a lot of the pubs around here and in Dublin and the rest of the country. See, and we, all, we've all got fancy well. with our pubs now. Back in the day, like you said, they only had yeah. a little pack of crisps. Now you can get pizza. Now you can get chicken wings. sandwiches. Yeah. Chicken all, wings. All you know? very fancy. Mm. Bring back the basics. Get rid of all the fancy gastro pubs and just sit in the corner and have your pints. Uh, anyway, still to come on the show, what do you know about Bitcoin? We'll be chatting about that in a little bit as well. And music from Dermot Kennedy Power Over Me right now, though. Written Nightcrawlers this is Friday. It's F104. You're listening to the Room 104 Podcast with Cormac Moore and Sir Shalon. FM 104. A little bit of love. It's Cormac and Sir here on Room 104. That, that music is a little bit too happy for the text I want to read out. Oh, which, which will change, yeah, which will change in a second. Uh, anyway, just uh, um, if you didn't get to the gig on Saturday, I should say the festival, the first festival we've had in 15 or 16 months, took place Saturday in uh, Royal Comanum, Royal Hospital Comanum. Uh, only three and a half thousand people were there. Usually, there's what like 30,000 of those yeah. gigs that are in that uh, that, that venue. But uh, lucky enough to have bagged a ticket. Well, I say Crossy had a spare ticket on the weekend. He got one and uh, went down. And um, it was a bit of crack. There's been a lot of people today giving out about it, going mad about it after they saw some of the pictures being all like, oh, that's a disgrace, it's a waste of time. But um, it, honestly, it was just unbelievably amazing to be back at a real-life gig. I can imagine. Unbelievable. And all done safely, if not overly safely. Uh, overly safely. So um, if you're wondering what exactly happened and if you're planning on trying to get to a festival or a gig in the future when they're doing them as, as safe as possible for uh, the next while, um, we went in and you have a specific gate depending on where your ticket is to go in. Happy days. You get in. We have to do an antigen test. Mm-hmm. It takes about 10, 15 minutes between the time you get an antigen test and your results. And they email your results and you have to register and it's all grand. And it's not too bad. I have not had a proper COVID test yet, but it was a nostrilly test. So they yep. get the things. Swab, yeah. Swabby things, put it up each nostril. Not too bad, not too far, not too long. So it's not as... Invasive as... As you said, yeah. you know, it's not back at your brain 
type of thing that goes on. And then after you do that, we went down to the gig and down to the festival and said that you forget the crack and the build-up and the atmosphere of just hearing the stage and the musicians kind of off in the distance and slowly walking your way up and turn around the corner like, oh my God, there's a gig! Huge, massive stadium and uh, all of the acts were phenomenally good. I think the favourite on the day was uh, Lyra who was unbelievable and she is probably, she looks like the best crack out of any Irish performer ever. Like, you'd love to go out on a night out with her. She was just having having the crack talking about her left boob about to fall out of her outfit so she had to go <laughs> so just having having the absolute crack unbelievable performance as well uh, Gavin James were on, were on uh, was on Wyvern Lingo uh, Sharon Shannon Wild Youth two Johnnies were hosting and who am I forgetting Denise Chyla was there as well and I think that was it anyway Anyway, Gavin James was, was high, uh, headline and it was phenomenally good. But a lot of people were given out about some of the pitches that they saw. Of. Everyone cordoned off into little pens like sheep or like animals or like cows. So they're either giving out because everyone's congregating or else they're giving out because you're too spaced out. Or they're just giving out about anything that they can give out about. It's the one thing I think we, we love doing in this country is moaning just about moaning. absolutely yeah. everything. Um, At the end of the day, the great thing was, like you yeah. said, they were just overly cautious, which probably did, they didn't need to be. But they still had their first festival, as you said, in 15 months or, long, or more. And Yeah, that's the main thing. Yeah, that back, is the main uh, thing. And not even back to work for Wild Youth and Gavin James, back to work for the production crew to the event staff, to everyone who has been absolutely decimated over the last while. So that, that was the great thing. And one, you're out at a gig. It's ba- it's a baby step. It was a little bit overly cautious. A lot of people were giving out, if you didn't see the pictures, that when you actually went into the venue, yeah. here was the two things where I was like, this is a little bit overkill. You got your antigen test. Mm-hmm. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. If you were positive, um, you didn't get in, obviously. And yeah. one person tested positive and then was sent home and turns out that when they got their PCR test, that came back negative for them. So they weren't even 
out of three and a half thousand people there was no one uh, that showed up positive with the antigen test now I know they're not going to capture absolutely everything but anyway yeah. you went into your section and your area and then you had little a little pod uh, a little fenced off area that you were to stay in and while you were walking there even though you're still outside you still had to wear a mask so there was two things that were a little bit overkill one you've just been antigen tested and you've been cleared that you're not infectious two they're still making you wear a mask outside which I thought was a little bit like ah come on now lads we're outside we don't need to be wearing masks Mm. and then three you did have to stay in your um, little pod area which was a a little bit like bit much a little bit like whatever a little bit bit overly cautious and overly safe because some people were making the point that that's not a real festival and people mingle at a festival people mix so you should have seen what happened and we should have tested it properly incredibly incredibly overly cautious I think for those two reasons wearing a mask outside after you've been tested negative and uh, the little pods but to call a spade a spade baby step and fingers crossed for the next gig they'll be like I don't think we need to do that yeah that's the thing hopefully they'll go right that was probably too much but we're yeah. glad we did it that way and now we can ease up on the maybe the pods yeah yeah and yeah and like you yeah, said just yeah. put you know we if you want to go back and check out the Room 104 podcast and wherever you get your podcast from must have been when was it March, April that we spoke yeah we Dutch spoke guy. to the Dutch guy yeah so a couple of months ago anyway uh, over in Holland they have been running get this right this is crazy in Holland the government actually values the late night entertainment sector and was like Weird. We, we can't shut this down they're like this brings in so much money to the economy and there's so many jobs involved and it's a huge big part of our culture that we can't just lock it down so what do we do so we chatted to an event organiser over there that has been running uh, that was running events all throughout lockdown. They didn't just shut down, they were figuring out how can we do this safely and they went out and did a lot of test festivals and they did a couple of test festivals la- a couple of months ago. Similar setup to what it would have been in Kilmainham but rather than um, they didn't mask everyone up. Everyone had to be tested who got in. Same situation. But once you were in, they didn't mind where you went. Yeah. They had little trackers on you apparently you were saying. They had little trackers on you so they could see how do people interact and mingle in the crowds and then how long are people staying with another group so you can see are people spending 5, 10, 15 minutes with other people Uh, is there going to be any transmission what the story is and they used to run they ran a couple of dance gigs in events spaces similar to the three arena and rather than putting pods of like four and six people together what they did was just had a 250 person area or pod in in the in the in the arena, so you were in a two hundred and fifty person pod. You couldn't go to the second, third, or fourth section. You had to stay in yours, but at least it felt a bit more open and freer and normal instead of us yeah. shutting it down. That would have yeah, that would have made probably more sense in hindsight. But look, they did it the way they did it. You still got to go to a gig. There you go. And it, it, more importantly, I think everyone was like, yeah, had the buzz of a gig. It was still a pretty good crack. Great crack. I'd still give it a 9 out of 10, like, just for the, the buzz of the whole day, getting there uh, and seeing everyone perform and being at an actual gig and helping lads get back to work who've been out of work for a stupid long time. So, if you are worried about going to the next festival or gig that comes up, they're, like, way over the top safe, so don't be worrying about that. Yeah. And, and fingers crossed we'll have more of these because I don't think anyone wants to go back into another lockdown. Oh, God, no, please. So, I would take this and move forward with this over a, a lockdown any day. Any day. So, uh, yeah, fingers crossed for more gigs. 
I'm having a bit, a bit more of a life coming back slowly, uh, slowly but surely. Uh, Dave, good evening. Dave's messaged in on 087-6797104. I wouldn't be able to make it to the first egg on the breakfast roll. <laughs> the breakfast roll video has gone live on all our social media channels. Myself and Susie went head to head. Yeah. And I had all a- my eggs, all my sausages. I ate, okay, I'm yeah. going to say seven and a half rashers. Yeah. I ate four hash browns, right. all my beans. Yeah. Uh, five pieces of pudding and half a not half a roll but half a normal size roll I would have said yeah yeah and a few chips not bad at all uh, a lot of people are getting involved thinking that they could do it I guarantee you if you go out to Pips and Crumlin you will um... fail you'll fail yeah, at the you challenge fail. in yeah. the time limit anyway you've got 45 minutes to eat this redonkulous uh, breakfast roll challenge the video's up there you can get a good clear view of one how much is involved in it but two how myself and Saoirse did and how we how much we got through in the end very very tough challenge um, anyway still to come on the show power over me Dermot Kennedy that's on the way and a man who made and lost millions trading bitcoin mining I should say bitcoin that's on the way now you're listening to the Room 104 podcast with Cormac Moore and Saoirse Long FM 104 it's Room 104 it's Cormac and Saoirse here now what started off as a currency or something that you would usually just use to buy drugs off the dark web and the Silk Road website that it was set up years ago has now become much more mainstream. It's almost like everyone is doing it and it's a fashion staple that people are like getting nice shoes, a nice car and making sure that you have some form of cryptocurrency or you're not modern at all. Well, some someone who went down the rabbit hole and made a hell of a lot of money from cryptocurrencies and lost a hell of a lot of money again from doing that joins us now on the line to talk about his very, very interesting story and where he is now and can maybe shed some light onto this whole area. If you've constantly heard about cryptocurrency in the news and you're like, I have no idea what it is. What is a meme coin? What is a, a, a Dogecoin? What is Bitcoin? All that stuff. Uh, will be explored and answered because we are delighted to welcome onto the show now uh, Peter McCormick sir how are you? I'm good man how you doing? Yeah we're doing good um, Peter can you just take us back how did you get into this tell me about your story really Well it, it was exactly as Cormac was saying it was like back in 2017 uh, and actually it was back in 2013 one of my friends told me about a website you could buy drugs from and uh, you needed a single bitcoin it's called the Silk Road I was like what? <laughs> He said, yeah, it's like Amazon. You can buy drugs and you need Bitcoin and all the dealers are reviewed. So I was buying uh, drugs on the Silk Road. Uh, kind of ignored it after a while. And uh, and then back in 2017, uh, I was in Ireland with my uh, my parents and uh, discovered it again and went on a bit of a roller coaster journey. I mean, this story of making and losing money, it's quite an old story. It happened in, uh, back in 2017, 2018. Uh, I've made a lot more money again, so I'm not broke. So when, when this kind of kicked off, how... how- because I've chatted to some people or know friends of friends of people, you know, these urban legends of the Silk Road. And I've seen the website before. I think it's taken down now. And it's exactly what you said. It's like an eBay or an Amazon for drugs and for guns and for fake passports. And it was so unbelievable. Uh, and I just know I'd say 90% of people would be terrified to ever put in an order because then they'd be like, the police will just show up on my doorstep. But were you successfully able to get drugs delivered over the over the internet? Yeah, and a lot of them um, because there's just a simple set of rules. Uh, and one of them was you just didn't put your real name on the postage. So you had the address, not the name. And if it turns up, you say, well, it's, it's not me. I'm I'm not John Turner. I'm Peter McCormack. Um, but also the, the dealers didn't want their uh, produce being confiscated. So they would vac seal and they would put them in Amazon packs. Uh, and that was the rediscovery back in 2017. My, my mother was in uh, Sligo Hospital. She was she was dying from cancer and we wanted to get her cannabis oil to help with her treatment. And so I just explained how the dark web worked to my dad, bought 
bought some Bitcoin, we bought some cannabis oil. The interesting thing about the dark web is lots of people think about the Silk Road as this like awful website for drugs. But actually, uh, I see it completely different, completely differently. I see it uh, as a website about freedom and liberty and being able to do what you want. The the government said I couldn't treat my mother with cannabis oil because under their rules, uh, you know, a group of uh, idiots in uh, Parliament says that we're not allowed to do this. I was like, well, fuck that. I don't care what you say. My mum's dying. I'm getting her this. So I always saw the Silk Road as a website of liberty. And I'm now, I, I know uh, the, the creator, Ross Albrick, who's sadly in prison for the rest of his life. And I know his mother quite well. She's, we've become very good friends. Oh, yeah, were you ever, ever afraid that it was all going to go tits up for you and you were going to get caught and you were going to be in serious trouble? No, I never cared. I mean, to be honest, it was a much better, better way of buying drugs than going to Tesco and you know, waiting for someone to turn up and would they turn up and when they do turn up what did they supply you know was it cut with something else that would make you ill the, the truth is drug prohibition has completely and utterly failed the war on drugs has completely failed nobody nobody doesn't do drugs because there's a law against it uh, but what it has done is increased risk and violence in the system I think if you look to the US as a model the legalization of cannabis or the decriminalization in most states hasn't seen the world collapse actually what you've seen is the professionalization of the industry and you now have places where you can go you can get your cannabis uh, in all different types and forms you get consulted and, and I simply feel like that should be the way for, for most drugs. And uh, you can provide much better rehab programs for people who, who maybe become addicted to drugs. But the, the war on drugs has completely failed. And we're also seeing in the US now that there's consideration for mushrooms. There's treatment of uh, soldiers with PTSD with uh, MDMA. So I think we're moving to a new world where we've realized a prohibition is both dumb uh, and infringement on liberties and a complete failure and leads to more death and violence. We've chatted to people before who, who are, you know, researching using MDMA for, as you said, stress and different disorders and alcoholics and alcoholism as well. And really, really uh, interesting. But how did you go then from using it for those reasons to kind of help treat your mother in, 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 in a small way to then getting a bit more seriously involved into Bitcoin? Because I mean, I think every second person you talk to right now is always like, oh, are you getting any Ethereum? Are you getting any of this coin, that coin? But how did you transition into doing this a little bit more seriously? Well, so that was early 17. So after mum had passed, uh, you know, it's like in Ireland, it's two days and then you have a funeral. So I was sat there for 24 hours. And I was like, well, we had some Bitcoin left over. I'll go and sell it and give my dad the money back. And I was on the Coinbase website and I was just reading about this other thing, Ethereum. And I was out of work at the time. I was like in between jobs. So I was like, whatever, let's take a look at this. And I had some money in the bank. I put 25,000 pound in, bought a bunch of Bitcoin and a bunch of Ethereum. And then Ethereum started to rocket and Bitcoin was going up. So then I just divested into, I don't know, maybe 50 different altcoins. And for most of that year, it was just, it was up like a rocket ship. I think by about November, I was up to about 1.2 million different cryptocurrencies I owned. (laughs) And for someone who doesn't really know anything about cryptocurrency, could you have taken that money out and had it as cash? Like, was were you worth a million at that stage? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, at any point I could have sold it. Maybe you wouldn't have the liquidity to hit exactly 1.2 million, but yeah, you could. You could sell it. I didn't see it ending. I didn't. I just felt like this. This was a, a revolution in technology and blockchains were going to save the world. Blah blah blah. The, the the narrative that was spinning at the time. So I was, you know, I I was like full set on you know, one million is not enough. I want five million or whatever. So I was just being greedy and a bit of a moron and uh, chasing it up. Yes, yeah, sorry, just jump in there. Just before we talk about the inevitable crash that's coming, a good, great part of every story. How many months did it take for the thirty grand or the twenty-five grand to go to one point two million? 
I started in January. I mean, I was buying in January and February and then traded from February up to, it's about November. I mean, it was a long time ago, so I can't remember the exact dates, but I do remember December of that year, I was at Center Parks with my dad and my kids. And my dad was like, look, you should take some money out now. You can buy a couple of houses. And I was like, yeah, no, it's a good idea. So I'd, I set up my laptop and I was about to go and sell. And my daughter came running over. She was only about, I don't know, four or five at the time, and bumped into the table and I had a glass of red wine and it fell onto the laptop. It fried the laptop. So I didn't have, I was like, oh, I can't do it now. I'll do it when we get back in a few days. And like, I never did. And you know how this story went. Oh, like it, like it actually kills me to even hear this. So then what did happen? Well, look, the market crashed. But the thing is like on the way up, uh, it crashed a few times as well. Like, you know, 30% crashes in cryptocurrency uh, prices are, are quite regular. So come January, it crashed 30%. I thought nothing of it will come back, uh, but it didn't. It just kept going down. I'd also invested a load of money in Bitcoin mining equipment and a bunch of other stuff. But I mean, the short version of the story is that that 1.2 million within, I don't know, by mid-2018, I think at my lowest point, I got I was about sixty thousand. Yeah, a, a hefty tax bill indeed. Um, but like, it must have been some sort of roller coaster um, of a ride because I can't imagine. I don't know if I would have had the the the, the staying power to see it up to one point two million. But it, it's that kind of thing, isn't it? As you said, you never really know when it's rocketing up when you should sell because, as you said, you got to one point two, you're like, you know what, at five million, then I'm going to exit. But then you probably would have got to five and said, no, no, at ten million. Then we're getting out. So that must have been a, a roller coaster of emotions, as they say. Yeah, but but I had a target. The five million was based on the fact that I, I wanted to buy. This could sound so dumb, right? I, I wanted to buy Bedford Town Football Club. I, I live in a shit town with a shit football team. Like we're the worst. We're in the lowest of lowest leagues. So I'd sat down with my friend and like we mapped out buying them and getting them into the football league. And I was, we we figured it was a five million pound project. So I was like, get to five million. I'll take all the money out and we'll plow it all into a football. Like I'm always going to earn okay money. I've got like experience in marketing. I don't, I don't need a big house or stupid stuff. Yeah, so 5 million was the target. And then obviously that didn't happen and uh, all crashed down. But look, I had so much fun that year. You know, I was prior to uh, investing, I was in between jobs, you know, didn't have a, a huge amount of money, didn't know what I was going to do with myself. And then within three months, I'm flying first class to America. I'm spending weeks in LA hanging out. I buy myself a watch and a car like you know, I, I lived a, a pretty cool life that year. I had a lot of fun, you know, financially irresponsible, but a lot of fun. And so now where are your thoughts on cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, all the rest of it? Is it dangerous? No, no. I mean, it, it depends how you look at it. Uh, it's it's a casino for sure. Most, I mean, look, there's two things. There's Bitcoin and then there's shit coins. Like everything that isn't Bitcoin is a shit coin uh, because they're dumb. They make no sense, really, logically. I mean, there's some some arguments around Ethereum, but Bitcoin itself is sound money. Arguments around Bitcoin, uh, every single argument against it has been pretty much debunked these days. Uh, we're living in a world of uh, massive money printing by central banks and government, and we're seeing inflation hit. Um, we've just seen the CPI in the US it's been creeping up. I think it's like 4.8% now. We're seeing inflation. Bitcoin is a fixed uh, supply currency of 21 million coins. It cannot be inflated. It is a hedge against inflation. It is also money that can't be censored or seized. Um, and it is, to some extent, uh, a, a 
global form of money. I'm like, I'm calling you now from El Salvador and I'm in the place called El Zonte, which has had an explosion in Bitcoin. I have a global currency. I can go and buy, I, I actually can go and buy a, co- a cup of coffee and send Bitcoin over the Lightning Network and pay them. And uh, this is raising the living standards of people in El Salvador. So it is an important f- form of global currency. Anybody ignoring it is is ignoring reality, is ignoring a revolution. And I, I, I'm, I'm a big supporter of Bitcoin. I, I have the biggest Bitcoin podcast in the world. I've dedicated my life to it. I've made films about it. Everything else is just, you can go and trade it you might make some money or you'll lose some money but if you're not stacking sats and getting on the bitcoin train you're, you're missing out in the fundamental change to how money works in this world and and ultimately do you think that's where it's going to go because i know you know governments and central banks like their control and regulation and are maybe scratching their heads about what to do with bitcoin but do you ultimately think that bitcoin and digital currencies will become the norm and cash when cash currencies will be gone in 10, 20, 30 years? Look, the timeline is hard to predict. I think there'll be two types of money that we're going to uh, converge on. It's Bitcoin and CBDCs, which are central bank digital currencies. It makes sense for central banks to issue these. They can provide greater surveillance. They don't have to ma- manage uh, physical cash, which is a problem. Um, it's it's the uh, authoritarian's wet dream. Uh, but there are freedom fighters and freedom lovers who want Bitcoin. Uh, what I would do is I'd put a question to you. If you offer two forms of money. One that you get to hold yourself that cannot be seized by the government and that cannot be inflated by the government, cannot be debased, and that you can send to anybody you want in the world and receive funds. Or do you want a form of money whereby it's issued by the government and they can take it from you when you want, they can sense who you can send it to and they can inflate it and and debase your uh, buying power with your hard-earned income. Which form of money would you want? I have uh, uh, pretty much 100% of my money in Bitcoin. Uh, I hold eight weeks cash flow for business and personal in pounds just so I can operate my business and pay my mortgage. Everything else is in Bitcoin. And and that's proved to be a very wise decision. And as, as you travel the world and you look at the kind of crappy behavior of central banks, you look at the incompetence of our, all of our governments you know, universally around the world, the Bitcoin thing just makes sense, but you have to do the work. You know, you can listen about Bitcoin, you can hear about ransom attacks, and you can hear about uh, uh, the, the challenges like people make with regards to is it environmentally unfriendly you can listen to all that nonsense and go ah oh, you know i'll just pass it by or you see the price at fifty five thousand dollars and you think you've missed the boat but you just haven't done the work i mean if you go and do the work you will see that bitcoin will go to a hundred thousand dollars and it will go to a million dollars people converge on the best form of money and the best form of money cannot be debased i say if you haven't got bitcoin uh, what the hell are you doing send me get it get an address and i'll send you some <laughs> we'll talk later once we're off air we'll be what, what's going on let's sort this out um Right now, though, the whole, uh, as you mentioned, that there's the Bitcoin and then everything else is, is a shitcoin. There seems to be an explosion in cryptocurrencies. And uh, even for the last year, maybe especially in the last two years, so many people I know that would have never invested in anything, don't have a pension or savings, are now mad for cryptocurrencies. And, and they're going, it's, it's a bit like the Wild Wild West at the moment, is it? And is, I suppose there's, there is a risk there, because you, obviously you mentioned at the start, it's a bit like a casino, but I'm sure some people are going to get badly burnt and be taken away for a bit of a ride with some of these yeah they will be you know when the rugs pulled they will be all these people pumping money into dogecoin you know when people realize there's zero developers working on it and it has little to no use uh, the rug will be pulled the uh, the rich bag holders will exit and people will be left holding something that's worth less and they'll lose money that isn't the case with bitcoin bitcoin will see a drawdown ultimately bitcoin if you follow the long-term tra- trajectory of it and you're patient and you put the put the time in you know it's it's the soundest investment of the lot if you want to be a trader you want to gamble then go and trade these these shit coins but ultimately they don't have a use case they're centralized uh, they aren't an exit 
it from uh, government fiat currency. Uh, and the problem that most of them are is like, if you could, if you had a money printer, if you can suddenly create a money printer in your bedroom and start printing money, would you? Of course you would. We all would. And this, this is all these shit coins are. They're just people who are greedy and they want to make money. They want to sell uh, scams. They want to uh, sell blockchain blockchain dreams. And they spend some of that. People trade it. They pull the rug and they run away. Whereas Bitcoin was created by Satoshi Nakamoto. He's essentially one of the richest people in the world. He hasn't spent a single dime of his Bitcoin. Like he's left everything there. And he exited the project because his goal was to create money that government can control that would end central banking. And uh, I would say, put the work in, be patient, think long term, and uh, Bitcoin's where you should have your money. And where do you see it developing then in the next kind of 10, 20 years? Next 10, 20 years? Well, look, we will have a battle between Bitcoiners and central banks and governments. Governments like surveillance, governments like control, governments like steal, stealing from us. There's no uh, benefit to, to, to the government for people having Bitcoin. So they will continue to try. It's kind of like the thing about Bitcoin is kind of inevitable. You only want to hold the best form of money. And the best way to explain this, listen, I've been out to Venezuela, right? Uh, spent a lot of time there under the, uh, you know, they're under a Maduro post-Chavez regime and they have probably the worst money in the world. And when you get there, they don't they don't want bolivars. They don't want bolivars. That's essentially a shitcoin itself. They want dollars. They want crisp dollars or they want Bitcoin because they know there's mo their money's worthless. They know that because they've gone through hyperinflation. We're going through what I would say is slow, cynical inflation, 2%, 3%, 4%. So much so that you don't really think about it, but are wages going up 2 3 4%? No. So we, we're having our uh, uh, purchasing power slowly debased. If, if you go to a place where they, you know, Argentina is another example, Turkey right now, Zimbabwe, any of these countries where they've seen massive inflation, they don't want their local currency. I see the writing on the wall for the dollar, the pound, the yen, the euro, and I've moved everything into Bitcoin because of that. Um, and then obviously, before we let you go, I appreciate you giving up your time. If you've just tuned in, we're chatting to Peter McCormick. He, he runs one of the world's biggest uh, Bitcoin podcasts and has had a roller coaster variety over the last couple of years. But you are, so you mentioned you're back, obviously, you're back investing, but have you had a, you've had growth over the last number of years and you haven't lost at all then? No, no, no. No, I'm in a way better position than I was. Yeah, you know, I've got, a, my podcast does very well. I've managed to move that a lot into Bitcoin. I wish I had the Bitcoin I had back. If I had the Bitcoin I had back in 2017, I would be worth over 10 million, which would be <sighs> lovely, but it is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. But it, it, you know, sometimes getting wrecked and losing all your money is a real good teacher. Uh, I'm much more conservative and disciplined with my um, investing now. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, we're in a very different place. But If anybody wants to find out a little bit more, uh, where's the best place you would tell them to go? I would say go and listen to my podcast. It's called What Bitcoin Did. It's at whatbitcoindid.com. I'm on Twitter at Peter McCormack. My DMs are open. Reach out to me. Got any questions? Happy to help. Brilliant. Well, uh, Peter, thanks a million for giving up your time this evening. Go check out his podcast and find him online as well for more uh, for more info. Explore that whole topic because it's going to be it'll be here for the foreseeable future anyway. But listen, man, thanks a million for popping on F104 tonight. Thanks for having. You're listening to the Room 104 podcast with Cormac Moore and Sir Shalon. FM 104. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.